835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There is nothing that will kill a community's growth faster than the reality and the perception that a community is crime-ridden. People will not move into areas that they perceive as being unsafe. Businesses will not invest in areas that they perceive as being unsafe. I mean, it is a simple equation. If you're a business person and you're looking to start a dry cleaning store, for example, you can start your dry cleaning store pretty much anywhere you want. Okay, why in the world are you going to go into an area where you're afraid that you're going to be robbed on a regular basis, that your customers are going to be robbed as they're coming out of your store, that if you park cars in the area, people are going to be held up and their cars are going to be taken from them? You have got to get a handle on crime if a city is going to thrive. One of the problems that Milwaukee is facing now is an explosion of crime in some areas. What is even worse is the crime is starting to spread, and there is a randomness about this. We've talked about this on the program before. Areas that used to be safe to drive in, now a lot of people are reluctant to drive across them because you hear about the carjackings. You hear about the stolen cars speeding away, one thing after another. And not only are these adult criminals, but more and more you are seeing hardcore juvenile offenders. If you talk to people in the criminal justice system, they will tell you that one of their greatest frustrations is that there there is this element of hardcore repeat offender who commits crime after crime after crime and then is turned back loose onto the streets to continue committing the crimes. You know, you saw this example a couple weeks ago where you had the 15-year-old who's been in and out of juvenile uh, treat group homes and things like that. At the age of 15, he's been in and out since for the last three years. He is involved, believed to be involved, in over 20 car thefts. They found his fingerprints on over 20 stolen cars. And you have a juvenile court judge who says, well, I don't think I'm going to waive him into adult court. Maybe there's more the juvenile system can do. The kid is laughing at the juvenile justice system. And that's just for the car thefts. What about the more serious crimes, the carjackings and things like that? I mean, the reality is you've got to get a handle on this, and we do not have a good handle on it in the city of Milwaukee. So you have a number of state legislators who have said enough is enough. And what they're doing is there's a whole battery of legislation that has been proposed. Most, or I think probably all of it, will pass. Um, one of the leading proponents is uh, Joe Sanfilippo, who's a state representative from New Berlin. Leah Vukmir, who is, a, of course, a state senator from the area. But what they're looking at doing is recognizing the juvenile code, which was written, oh, back in the 60s and 70s, does not reflect the type of hardcore, repeat juvenile offender that we have out on the streets nowadays. So some of the some of the things that this crime prevention packages are talking about doing would be expanding cases when judges could designate defendants as serious juvenile offenders, um, and uh, that would then allow judges more latitude in sending juvenile offenders to places like Lincoln Hills or Copper Lake, which is the secure detention facilities for juveniles, as opposed to, here, we're going to put you in some group home that you're going to be able to walk away from. Um, They would also remove the three-year maximum for offenders staying at juvenile prisons. Um, Those are some of the things. But in general, toughening up the juvenile penalties might even be looking at mandatory minimum types of sentencing, things like that. All right.
a number of Milwaukee aldermen, let's give credit where credit is due, led by Bob Donovan, Mark Borkowski, and Tony Zielinski, who understand what out-of-control crime does to a community. They're saying, yeah, we're, we, you know, we, we want to support this. Um, Borkowski actually says, quite frankly, that this legislation, um, it's not strong enough. It's a starting point. Now, the Milwaukee Common Council doesn't get a chance to pass state legislation, but they do get a chance to weigh in on their opinions of this. Borkowski says, all this juvenile crime is not acceptable. Behavior that is going on in the community, and I understand people want to save youth, save people. I get that. I understand that people deserve chances. But after a while, when is enough enough? So there's that one cent attitude. Um, the Milwaukee Common Council yesterday decided to not weigh in on whether or not they wanted to support the state legislation. Like I say, it's going to happen regardless of what some of the aldermen Milwaukee have. But the response by some aldermen I thought was just absolutely shocking. For example, you got the guy that represents the, the east side, Nick Kovac. He said that requiring minimum mandatory sentences and sending more people to Lincoln Hills would create more trouble, more trouble by punishing people who commit serious crimes. Hmm. He called for city leaders to be a moral voice and a practical voice and advocate for rehabilitation as well as punishment. Well, of course, the question you would ask the alderman is, what happens when rehabilitation doesn't work? I mean, doesn't punishment have a role? But, of course, that's not what Nick Kovac thinks. Then you've got another alderman, Shantia Lewis, saying, this crime is something that's plaguing our system, and I don't think the answer is just to lock people away and throw away the key. Well, for some people, isn't that the answer? For some people who have demonstrated that, you know, what's going on now is that they refuse to accept and conform to the norms of society, isn't the answer to lock them away to protect society. Then, of course, you've got David Bowen, who's pressing for more money for prevention. Um, We know there are approaches to community-based alternatives that work more effectively, like intense monitoring and mentorship. Sorry, buddy. After, After somebody's stolen 22 cars, intense monitoring and and mentorship i mean the only mentorship the kid is looking for is how to become a more sophisticated car theft big story number one some milwaukee aldermen oppose toughening penalties on repeat offenders 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i understand that this is this sort of lefty feel-good type of thing we don't we don't want to be too tough on these repeat juvenile offenders i'm sorry if you are committing carjackings, if you are stealing cars on multiple occasions, and if, you know, we've tried other things the first or the second time around, at some point in time, I think you have to say enough is enough. And if this legislation makes it easier for the courts and the system to do it, how can anybody seriously oppose it? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to get tougher with juvenile offenders Or should we just be careful not to lock them up and throw away the key? Or, gee, we we need to try intense monitoring and mentorship instead of Instead of punishment, we discuss it. Why don't we just all sit around and sing Kumbaya until the kid pulls out a gun, sticks it in your face, and takes your car? We discuss next. It's 843. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. New book is out detailing the failed presidential bid of Hillary Clinton. I just ordered it last night, as a matter of fact. Among some of the details includes where blame ought to fall for her coming up short. Steve Scafidi tells you where he thinks the blame should be placed. That is today at 1207. Big thing number one, state legislation is working its way through that would toughen juvenile penalties. It would have a huge impact in Milwaukee, where juvenile crime is out of control. Some Milwaukee aldermen... Ah, we don't think we need tougher penalties. Let, let's have increased monitoring. Let's have more mentorship. Hmm. Shernaz in Brookfield. Good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I have a question. How these kids will stop? You know, they, they should have to have a tougher law, and they should have a law like Saudi Arabia where eyes to eyes, hands to hands, I mean, there should be something how we are safe. Well, we don't want to go to that area. We don't want to... Well, I mean, th- th- thanks for the caution. I mean, I, look, I, I mean, we can't have an eye for an eye or, or things like that. But at the same time, there, there, there do need to be consequences. I mean, I, again, I keep coming back to this 15-year-old who is now believed to have been involved in over 20-plus car thefts. Not carjackings, but car thefts. He's been in and out of group homes. He walks away from group homes, and nobody does anything about it, and he goes out and steals cars. Well, if you continue to allow somebody to do that over and over and over again without having consequences, it's and you can have all the mentoring you want. All right, and then you talk about intense monitoring. I don't know what the heck that means. Gee, he's walked away from the group home. We don't know where he is. Oh, let's just look at where the stolen cars turn up. I mean, if that's intense monitoring. No, what you need to do is you need to, at some point in time, say, look, we care about rehabilitation. But for some people, you're not going to have rehabilitation unless you get them off the streets. Plus, I do believe there is an element of punishment. That's one of the problems with the juvenile code now. There isn't enough allowance for punishment for people who commit crimes. There needs to be consequences for bad behavior. And if those consequences mean removing you from society, removing you from the environment that is leading you to commit these crimes, okay, that's fine especially since I think the priority needs to be protecting the law-abiding citizens from car thefts or punks that are going to stick guns in their faces and take their cars from them. Ellen in Pewaukee. Ellen, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, I can see both sides of the issue, but I think having been in the trenches as an MPS special education teacher, I think that we have to have draw a line between the chronic like the, your 15-year-old you're talking about, mm-hmm. that definitely needs serious consequences for him. But I think, like, with being in a self-contained classroom, there are students I worked with that could go either way. Mm-hmm. And if, if they get in trouble, those are the kids that I think need to have that intense monitoring. They need to be shown other ways of, you know, taking, doing things, other ways of behaving. You know, they mm-hmm. need that intense monitoring. Because they're the ones that could go either way, like I said. Yeah, well, and I think part of the, the part of the key is, and, and see, and Ellen, I don't think anybody would really disagree with you. I think the frustration that I have, a lot of politicians have, and a lot of police officers have, is it's the repeat offenders. You know, it's the people who've mm-hmm. been through the system. It's not 
it's not the kid that goes out the first time and, and steals the car on a joyride or something like that and gets caught. And then, okay, mom and dad are in the picture. Or it's not necessarily a bad kid, but it's a kid that need, maybe needs some redirection. The problem, and I think the frustration is with, like we're talking about, the people who commit crimes over and over again, including increasingly more serious crimes, and that there's no consequences, meaningful consequences for them. I agree with that part of it totally. I think, though, if I may add one other idea, is I think, though, that there needs to be places for kids to go. I mean, you've got so many kids that are sitting around not doing anything other than playing the games on their videos. And when you ask them, well, why don't you go out and do something, they're going, what? There is no place for me to go, you know, at this certain age. Well, like, like, what do you, like, what do you, I mean, I'm curious, like, what do, what do you mean? There's, I mean, I, and I, I, Okay, I, I was somewhere the other night. I was walking past like this big skateboard park that was there, mm-hmm. and I and I see baseball diamonds, and I see basketball courts, and I see public swimming pools, and I mean, what when when you say there's no place for kids to go, I'm not sure I quite understand what what sort of place well, that you think there should be. Like, I mean, remember back in the day, there used to be these uh, places for the kids to go. These youth, I can't remember the name. Like that, we went. We used to call them the C the. You know, we used to go in back in Manitowoc to HI because that's where everything was going on. There were there was supervised events going on. There were things to do. I mean, granted, right. now we've got all the electronics to get the kids away from. Right. But, I mean, if we can take advantage of the, like you said, the skate park, the basketball. I mean, there's a lot of kids that want to do these things, but... You know, it's kind of like a catch-22 because there's a lot of kids that want to do that, but their parents are too afraid to let them go because right now there's nobody at the basketball court to monitor the children to make sure that that the, for lack of a better term, the sassy kids. Well, yeah, that, over right. the top, sassy kids. Well, well right. No, the, 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 the criminal element. No, thank, I mean, the, the criminal element. I mean, let, let's let's be honest. But what you're saying is that some parents might be reluctant to let the kids go out to the basketball courts because the basketball courts, that's where you've got the, the certain element, the gangs that are taking them over or selling dope or whatever on the street corners. I, I just, I understand what you're saying, Ellen. I'm not sure I buy that a, as a premise, that there's that there's nowhere for kids to go or there's nowhere things to do. There's, there's all sorts of things that, that kids can do, you know, if if they choose. The problem is you have kids who are, whether they fall, whether it's, it's because there's not a mom and dad and they get caught up with the, the with the gangster culture or whatever. I mean, this 15-year-old, I hate to keep coming back to him, but it's just fresh in my mind. I mean, he's riding around in stolen cars. He's pulling a gun out of his waistband and he's waving it around. I, I mean, he, he's falling in with the, the thug culture. And I don't know if it's because there's not opportunities. There's all sorts of places to go, but you have some people who admittedly, they, they don't have the direction in their life there's probably not a, a mom or dad who's invested in this type of thing. But at the same time, there's only so much society can do with that. You can try to channel it into positive uh, positive ways. And I have no problem with after-school programs and things like that. But for the hardcore repeat offenders, the people that are going to decide, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to go out and steal cars or I'm going to sling dope or whatever, I, I'm not sure the after-school basketball programs work. Let's talk to Tim in Waukesha. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Great Good morning. subject. Thanks. Um, I just a couple of things. One, the minimum sentence. I, I look at the the carjacking as well as uh, the murder rate. Yeah. Uh, right now, you go out. You're a street thug. You do ten to eighteen months for killing somebody, and now you've got street cred. 
Yeah. Um, and then you go on from that. Um, if 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 suddenly we had a minimum sentence mm-hmm. for some of these things, if you killed somebody and minimum was three years or five years, right. you'd suddenly have less. Right. Or, or you right. Or you or you shot someone. No. I mean. I mean. Here, Tim. I I come from the federal system, and, and back in back in the eighties, when the when the drug war was exploding, and you had more and more of the gangsters who were carrying guns. What what Congress did is they passed mandatory minimum sentencing that said, if you commit a crime with a gun. There's a mandatory minimum, non-waivable, five-year sentence that gets tacked on to any sentence. You, you know, again, you, you, you sell, you sell drugs. Okay, you get penalized for selling the drugs, but you use, you carry a gun to that drug deal. You're getting an extra five years. It's not parolable. It's not waivable. Boom! It's five years, and the word goes out that if you commit crimes with firearms, you are going to prison, and there's going to be at least a certain price to pay. I fully support that. Now, we have mandatory minimums in state law, but but there's there's ways around it. You get judges that ended up waiving them. You get prosecutors who decide that they think that they don't, well, I, I won't just charge, I won't charge it because I don't want the minimum to kick in. I'm a big believer in that. I mean, if you really want to get a handle on gun crime, that's what you do. You say, all right, if you carry guns to crimes, if you stick a gun in somebody's face when you take the car, you're going to prison for at least five years. You will... Either, number one, the word will get out that you will, it might take you a little while, but, you know, on the one hand, maybe the word will get out that you don't do this unless you're willing to go to prison for a long time. Or, number two, all right, if people still keep doing that, at least the community will be safer because you will be removing gun thugs from the streets. It's 856 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up, a special election in Georgia last night. Democrats are not happy. And the first dreamer is deported. That's all coming up. Stick around. It's 856. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I understand that I'm going to be kind of a a contraindicator on this. And I almost hesitate saying this because um, I I took four years of Latin at Nicolay High School. And and my teacher was the late, great Juanita Bonneman. And I I always – I didn't – I, I don't know how much a four years worth of four years of Latin stuck with me, but but there are two phrases in Latin that I remember. One is in wino verum, which means in wine there is truth, and and the other one is de mortem nisi bonum, which means speak nothing but good of the dead. Um, so I, I try to I try to adhere to that, but I've been listening to these news reports this morning about. Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez is the former New England Patriots standout tight end who killed himself apparently in, in prison yesterday. And I'm, I'm listening to all the, these reports, and, and some of them are just incredibly, incredibly, I don't know, sympathetic to, to Aaron Hernandez. We have a winner in our Follow the Brewers contest, uh, Gary from Sturdivant. Gary from Sturdivant is our daily winner. Keep listening. Uh, same time every day. We'll give you more chances for to win tickets to uh, home games and to follow the Brewers. So Gary from Sturdivant is our winner today. Anyways, Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez was a thug. Uh, he, he was, you know, for, for most people, the, the ability to play professional athlete, to, to be to be given and blessed with the talent to be able to play professional ball, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, whatever. That, that, is, that is a gift. 
and and for people who cannot appreciate it, it it's always very very frustrating to me. Hernandez um, was at the University of Florida. He was. He was a thug when he was at the University of Florida. He um, was drafted and goes to play for the New England Patriots. Has a great year in 2012. Um, In 2012, he signs a um, big deal with the uh, New England Patriots. Actually, 2010 is when he signed that. Making all sorts of money. He's got the world by the short and curlies, all right? But, But he's still a thug. He's living in this huge mansion. He's got all this money, enough money to take care of him and his family and his friends essentially for life. But he's a guy who just can't deal with it. Um, He was accused of shooting two people uh, to death at uh, as in their car as they were waiting for a red light. Um, the the allegations were that one of the guys spilled a drink on him or something like that. Um, in addition, he's, saw, he's the subject of a lawsuit um, alleging that Hernandez shot him after an argument at a strip joint. In June of 2000, now this guy, he's playing for the New England Patriots. Again, he's got the world by the tail. In June of 2013, the body of a guy named Odin Lloyd, a semi-professional football player who was dating the sister of Hernandez's fiance, and it's kind of a complicated thing, is found about a mile from Hernandez's mansion in like a swamp. It's kind of something out of the Sopranos. Hernandez is arrested on murder charges and um, is ultimately convicted of that in um, 2013. He's later charged with the murders of these other guys that were shot at the stoplight. He ends up he's serving a life sentence for the murder of the 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 fiance uh, the for the for the guy who was dating the sister of his fiance. Um, he ends up last week getting acquitted of the murders of the two guys at the red light, but. But he's a murderer. I mean, he, he's, he's a murderer. And he made his various choices. I am sorry he chose to take his life. And yes, this is an example of somebody that had all these God-given skills that were, you know, he was blessed with all these things and, and wasn't able to challenge him. But at the same time, I mean, I, I'm listening to some of the tone of this coverage. Oh, this is terrible. This is this incredible tragedy. The guy was a murderer. I'm sorry he hung himself in prison. I, I am. But when you think of all the chances that if you want to look at somebody who won the lottery, won the genetics lottery, had all these different opportunities that most people do not have, if I'm going to be sympathetic to people, I, I think Aaron Hernandez, who is doing life in prison for murdering someone simply because Again, they got on your wrong side. Again, I appreciate speak nothing but good of the dead. I'm sorry he killed himself in prison. But all these tributes to Aaron Hernandez. The guy is a murderer sitting around doing life in prison for a murderer. And even though he was acquitted last week of a couple other murders, he's... He's been a bad actor for a good portion of his life. It is unfortunate that he is gone, but... These glowing tributes, I don't know. Coming up next, big story number two, Democrats fail big time yesterday. We'll discuss. It's 915, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers are back in action today. The crew wraps up their series with the Cubs this afternoon. Our Brewers game day coverage begins at 1245. We're the home of the Brewers, 620 WTMJ. 
Easter is over, and you know what that means. We are getting closer and closer to summer and all the things that come along with it, like cookouts and family gatherings, graduation parties, and all the like. Now is the time to get your home's exterior ready for all that entertaining that you know you're going to do. Get that painting project off your to-do list by contacting Serta Pro Painters today. Look, there are tons of painting companies out there. I know that. So how do you know which one to choose? Well, let me make it really easy for you. Do what I've done. Call Serta Pro. I have used Serta Pro on the exterior and interior of my home, and I can tell you from personal experience that they're the best painting company to work with. They painted the entire outside of my house. They did a tremendous job. They used quality materials. It's been a couple years now, and it still looks good. They power washed the whole thing. They fixed rotting wood. It was just a tremendous experience. They cleaned up after themselves, and it was much more affordable than you might think. Here's what you do. Get on the schedule to get this done. Call Serta Pro today before the spring schedule fills up completely. Call 800-GO-CERTA. That's Serta with a C. 800-G-O-C-E-R-T-A. Or you can check them out online at CertaPro.com. That is why Serta Pro Painter says, we do painting, you do life. Each Serta Pro Painter's business is independently owned and operated. 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. Can United Airlines fully recover their losses, financial and otherwise? Why is it that many experts say it will be an uphill battle for the airline to ever get back on track? John McCure has the answer today after Brewers Baseball on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I was actually wondering about this. Um, Insight 2017 is tonight. It's at the Country Springs Hotel. We start at 630. Uh, A number of people um, have been asking, are, are tickets still available? And the answer is... We can accommodate you, but but you, you've got to get the tickets. Um, I was talking to our director of marketing and innovation who's responsible for the configurations, and he said, gee, there, there's people who continue to want to buy tickets, and, and it's great. Um, matter of fact, I think the weather is going to be pretty nice tonight, so come on out and check it out. Um, but you got to go to WTMJ.com, and we're still selling. We have room for a few more people, I guess, and we can make the configuration work. We don't want anybody to be shut out. Um, we're at the Country Springs Hotel, so if you've been thinking about going, it is in fact, tonight, hope to see lots of people there. WTMJ.com is your opportunity to buy tickets. And just confirmed today, I'm very excited about this. We have a special guest who is going to be joining us for one of the segments. Not going to tell you who this is, but it is a special guest. Someone um, someone close to one of our announced guests. It's going to be a really fun segment. So um, got a special guest joining the list of guests that are already up there. So check that all out. And if you're looking for something to do this evening, again, you can go to WTMJ.com. There's a handful of tickets left. We'll try to make arrangements to accommodate anybody who wants to go Insight 2017. And we do a rebroadcast of the show tomorrow. I was wondering how we're going to handle Follow the Brewers. Since it's going to be a, a rebroadcast of the program tomorrow, um, we're going to do two Follow the Brewers giveaways on Friday. So on Friday, you will have two chances to follow the Brewers. All right, big story number two, so near and yet so far. Uh, Democrats have been energized. There's no question about it. During the first couple months of this year, um, there's been this anti-Trump sentiment that's out there, this poll that says that 60% of Democrats do not believe that Donald Trump was legitimately elected president, which, of course, you get the sound of the, the kooky stuff going on. But but they've been very, very energized. And the idea is, hey, we're going to take this anti-Trump sentiment and, and we're going to turn it into election victories. Well, 
not so far. First of all, there was a runoff two weeks ago in Kansas, very, very conservative district. It's a Republican district. And the thought was, okay, this is a chance for a Democrat to knock off um, a Republican trying to run for this open seat. Didn't happen. Yesterday in Georgia, this was a race that was incredibly closely watched. Um, the former congressman who represented the area uh, resigned to take the job as the head of Health and Human Services. He won in November with 61% of the vote. It is a very Republican district. I don't know if it's as Republican, say, as the district that Jim Sensenbrenner represents, represents around here, but it's a very Republican district. It's the Atlanta suburbs. Um, Newt Gingrich held the seat for a number of years. It's a very, very red district. There was a primary yesterday that had 18 people running. They call this a a jungle primary. See, normally for primaries, like, like here in Wisconsin, when you do a primary, even for a special election, what you have is you have people who run as Republicans and people who run as Democrats and then independents, you know, if you can get on the ballot. And, and there's a primary, and you choose, Republican voters go, and they choose who the Republican candidate is going to be. Democratic voters go, they choose who the Democratic candidate is going to be, and then they meet in a runoff. That's not the way the so-called jungle primaries work. There's 18 names on, on the ballot. Um, five Republicans, a couple Democrats, and then a, a bunch of, of other people. The National Democratic Party decided, okay, this is where we are going to make a stand. The way it works is that if one candidate gets 50% of the vote plus one, they, they then, there's not a runoff. They're automatically, they automatically get the seat. Um, if you don't get 50%, if no candidate gets 50% plus one, what happens is the top two candidates have a runoff. So you had a number of strong Republican candidates who were running. But they're, they're all on the same ballot together. You had a couple Democrats, but the only serious Democrat was this 30-year-old guy. His name is Joe Oshoff. And they, they spent, the Democratic Party spent over $8 million. They poured $8 million plus dollars into this congressional seat with the idea that they were going to try to win it last night. Let's, the Republican vote's going to be split. It's a primary, so the turnout is going to be maybe depressed. What we'll do is this is our chance to pick up the seat. We're, we're going to try to get him. We're going to unite. The Republican vote is split. We will be able to, quote-unquote, steal this particular seat. Samuel L. Jackson, he was doing radio ads encouraging people to go out and stop the racist Trump administration, all these different types of things. And, and this was the idea, we're going to win it last night. Well, it, it, it didn't happen. Now, the story, again, the way it's being portrayed in the national, a lot of the national press is, well, he came close. And, and he did come close. He got about 48% of the vote. But he didn't win. And now most people think in the runoff that's coming up in a few weeks, he's going to get, he's going to lose. Because what's going to happen is, yes, he got 48% of the vote in the primary. His nearest challenger was a Republican who got 20%. But now, all the Republican votes are, are going to unite, and I don't know if the Republican challenger, and it's a lady, I don't know if she's going to end up getting 61% of the vote like uh, the, the guy, Tom Price, got um, in November. But most of the analysts say that if the Democrats were going to pick up this seat, this was their best chance to do it. That is to try to, again, steal it. And I'm putting that in quotation marks. During the primary, it, it didn't work. And again, most, 
most of the news coverage is, oh, he ran this valiant fight. He came really, really close. This would have been a great way to say, okay, this is why people are rejecting Donald Trump. Well, here's part of the problem. Trump is becoming more and more popular, I think. And the more he stays off Twitter, the better that is going to be. People are going to start are starting to see that Trump policies are beginning to work. They're feeling better about this. And while some Democrats are angry, I think more and more people are starting to say, you know what, maybe – Maybe the results of the 2016 election weren't so bad. The best analysis is, I've seen is, is, uh, is in Politico. And instead of saying, well, he came close, Politico is saying, Democrats begin to wonder, when do we win? For all the rolling anger and energy at the grassroots, the party still fell short in Georgia and Kansas. And their prospects in upcoming elections aren't promising either. So um, the question becomes, All right, if everybody's so upset about Donald Trump, when does the winning start? And yes, this guy getting 48% of the vote in the conservative-leaning district might have been a moral victory, but it's still close but no cigar, and chances are he's probably not going to win in a few weeks. So for everybody that's patting themselves on the back and saying there's all this angst and the Republicans are in trouble, it's not playing out that way thus far. 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, big thing number three, a dreamer gets sent home. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The next stop on the All-American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin Tour is the Hobnob Restaurant in Racine. It is coming up this Friday. John McCure and the Wisconsin's Afternoon News crew will be there starting at 3 o'clock. They are broadcasting live. Come on out, enjoy a cocktail or two or a fish fry or everything. Fish fries, cocktails, they got it. It's the Hobnob in Racine. Plus, you get to see John McCure. That's this Friday at 3. It's the All-American Window and Door. We love Wisconsin tour on 620 WTMJ. You know, just tying into what we were just talking about, the fact that the Democrats come up short in trying to get this congressional seat in a special election in Georgia yesterday. Um, This is, you know, for all the talk about how vulnerable people are, this is playing out in Wisconsin as well. All right, Scott Walker, who has not announced that he is running for a third term, but Scott Walker is running for a third term. Um, And one of the interesting things is nobody is stepping up to to challenge him. I mean, nobody's seriously stepping up to challenge him. Um, There's all these names that are being floated around, but most of the people are saying, no, we don't want to get involved in this. The latest is the uh, very liberal Dane County executive, Joe Parisi, who was being touted as, uh, this is one of the, one of the great hopes of the Democratic Party, you know, he announced yesterday, nope, not going to, uh, not going to do it. Um, this comes on the heels of other people, like former State Senator Tim Cullen and a tech company executive. All these people saying, nope, we're we're not going to, um, we're not going to do this. Parisi saying, well, and of course, nobody will say what the real reason is. Parisi saying, well, I just kind of looked at this and I didn't want to do the fundraising, all these type of things. The reality is, they look at it and they recognize that they're not going to be able to beat. Walker. That's just the reality that's there. Now, he's obviously going to get a challenge, but um, what you're looking at is, I don't know, like the Jefferson County District Attorney who couldn't beat Brad Schimmel, so it's like she's going to beat Scott Walker in a couple years. A couple uh, state representatives that you've never heard of. Um, so far, it's just the B list, and that's playing out in Wisconsin. There's not even a serious challenger to Walker emerging at this point. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, the first dreamer is deported. We'll talk about that.
It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The hottest player in baseball belongs to the Brewers. Eric Thames' power surge sustainable, or is he just another short-lived feel-good story? Greg Matz explains why Thames won't simply be a flash in the pan. Tune in tonight, Sports Central, 6.45. Okay, um, several years ago, Barack Obama, when he was president, announced this by executive order. He created this thing called the Dreamer Program. And what the Dreamer Program does is it allows people who came into this country illegally as kids. So your, your parents come into the country illegally. You are a child. It allows you, if you register, it allows you to stay. There are, but you have to renew your you have to renew your your dreamer status like every two years, and it's it's always subject to to review. Um, plus, this is an executive order; it's it's not a law. Um, about seven hundred and twenty five thousand people are are in this country under the, this dreamer type of thing. President Trump had originally said that he wasn't going to seek to deport the the. the kids and the idea is hey if you came here you know you come here at three or four years old and it's now 15 years later it's the only country you know does it and you're not creating a problem does it make any sense to send you back all right there's a a story which then leads to the broader issue that i want to talk to you about there's a guy named juan montez who is now 23 he's in the country under the dreamer program it is unclear exactly what happened his story is that he's in the uh, he's in a Mexic he's in a border town, and uh, he's trying to come into the United States. Border agents come up to him, they catch him. He doesn't have any identification. He doesn't have his status stuff. So they they, they ship him they ship him back to Mexico. So his story is: Hey, I, I was a I was a dreamer. I I had current dreamer status. I was allowed to stay here, and that they've. They've sent me back. Um, Customs Immigration say, well, no, we we don't have any record of that. I mean, we have a record of him, like, in 2015 getting the Dreamer status. He was subsequently convicted of of theft. Um, We we don't have records of of him ever re-upping that. And also, they say, we don't have any records of this contact at, at the border. What we have is agents caught him trying to climb a fence from the Mexican side into the U.S., on the U.S. side, trying to climb a fence, um, and we caught him. His story is, yes, I, I was trying to climb the fence to get in, but that's only after they, they sent me back to Mexico a couple days earlier. So it's it's unclear, at least in my mind, what what really happened. Was this guy really picked up by border agents, and is a story that I just didn't have the information, um, and then they just they deported me in the middle of the night? Is that really true? Or was this a guy whose dreamer status had legitimately expired, and they catch him trying to sneak back into the country over a wall, in which case, yes, they, they send him back to Mexico. So I, I don't know whether this guy really is the appropriate case for the immigration folks, the, you know, the pro-immigration forces to use as the poster child or not. Because, again, I think the facts are questionable. But it does raise this larger question. Right now, again, the estimates are, Somewhere a little bit north of 700,000 people came into this country illegally, um, brought by their parents. In many cases, they came as they were uh, when they were very young children. This country is all they know. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, so far, President Trump has said, 
when it comes to enforcing the borders and deporting people, he's not interested in going after the people who are in this country under the Dreamer program unless they're committing crimes or something like that. But the kid that comes in at nine years old and has been here, as far as Trump is concerned, he can stay. So the story today is this guy, this Juan Montes, may or may not be, depending on whether his story is accurate, he may be the first dreamer that was, in fact, deported. I want to talk about the overall Dreamer program, though. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. In an effort to control our borders and deal with people who are illegally in this country, you may disagree with me, but I think I think the Dreamers, I think these kids who came into the country, assuming they have kept their noses clean, assuming they have not been involved in criminal activity, I think this needs to be and should be at the very bottom of the priority list when it comes to sending people back. Um, And if they do catch up with somebody who's got dreamer status, my advice would be, my recommendation, what I think should happen is just let that continue to play out. I don't think we need to be spending resources trying to deport the dreamers. I would rather see the resources go to deporting other people. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where should we be spending our immigration resources, given the fact that we have a finite amount of resources? Who should we be concentrating on when it comes to people illegally in the country? Is it these kids who might have come into the country 10, 15 years ago with their parents, um, or is it others? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. While we try to figure out the immigration mess, I would say the Dreamers are a low priority. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 941, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers wrap up their first road trip of the season today when they close out the series at Wrigley Field. Jeff and Lane begin coverage of a Brewers Cub matinee. Our coverage starts at 1245 this afternoon. Check it out. Coming up in about 25 minutes, right after the 10 o'clock news, there's a piece that caught my attention. The woman writes, big headline, her daughter is not transgender. She's a tomboy. Stop pushing her. It's an interesting story, and um, it it raises this question that are are we going now too far? Can you be a tomboy without being transgender? It's an interesting piece. I will share it with you, and we will discuss. Right now, we're talking about this this whole dreamer thing. There's about 700,000 young people who are brought into this country illegally. They have no legal status under the law in this country. They came in with their parents. In many cases, they were they were small children. This country is the only country that they have known, even though they don't have legal status. And Obama set up a way that they could register to, to stay in the country. You have to, first of all, not be involved in criminal activity, and you have to update your status every two years and get work permits and things like that. Um, there's allegations, and Trump said, President Trump has said, hey, I'm not going after the dreamers. Um, there are allegations that uh, one of these dreamers, now a 23-year-old guy, was deported. There's question, his story, I'm not saying it's not true, there are 
questions. Customs says, well, no, the guy was in Mexico, and we caught him coming back trying to climb over a, a wall, trying to enter the country illegally. He says that was only after I was deported. I, I don't know. There are some allegations that out of 720,000 Dreamers, there are now somewhere between 8 to 10 that are in custody. And, again, the question is, you know, what, what exactly is going on? Is that number valid or not? But the overall question becomes, what do you do with this Dreamer program? And I think President Trump is on exactly the right track where he says, look, this is not what our priority is going to be. I think given the fact that you have 11 plus million people who are in this country illegally, the, the, the priority needs to be, number one, Stopping the flow of continued illegal immigration. That's number one. Number two, the priority has to be dealing with, I mean, Trump used the phrase bad hombres, whatever you want to mean that to be. But I, I think the priority doesn't mean need to be, you know, going after the kid who came into this country at three, essentially identifies as an American, as an American. Um, that doesn't need to be the priority in sending that person back. What you need to do is at least at the initial stages of trying to, again, develop some sort of sensible immigration policy, you need to concentrate on the people who are illegally in this country who are creating the problems. Then then you move to whatever the plan B is. And quite candidly, as far as I'm concerned, you might disagree with me, I think for, again, the people who were brought into this country illegally by their parents, who've lived in this country for essentially their their entire lives, I think we need to figure out a way to allow them to, again, maybe not get citizenship, but allow them a way to stay in this country legally. Um, and then perhaps ultimately uh, a path to citizenship because they didn't have the choice. It's not like they snuck into the country illegally. If your parents bring you in here when you're three or four or five years old, you're going with your parents. And if you want to fault the parents for coming in the country illegally, that's fine. But is it fair to visit the sins of the father and the mother on the kids? I, that would be my issue. Yesterday was tax day. Hope that does not come as a surprise to too many of you. But uh, yesterday, this year, it was April 18th. Your federal taxes were due. State taxes in Wisconsin were due as well. Um, in For the federal taxes, normally it's the 15th because the 15th fell on a weekend. You got to normally the Monday, but because Monday was a holiday in D.C., you got till Tuesday. So uh, the federal taxes were due. Um, if you have not filed and you have not put in for an extension, you, you are late. So, so get on with that. But whenever we start talking about taxes, and it, it does raise the question about – do people pay their fair share? What is the fair share? Do we share a burden? And, and how does that all work? And I understand many, many times we talk about the people at the upper end of, of the scale. We say, okay, you know, here, here you have somebody who's making $250,000 or 500000 or a million or whatever. Do they pay their fair share? And that's where a lot of the focus is on. Well, the reality is, and you can argue about whether or not the people who have a lot of earned income, whether or not that, that person pays his or her fair share, again, however you want to define it. And that's where a lot of the focus is. But I also think there needs to be focus on, on the other end. Because, see, I believe everybody everybody should pay some form of tax. I mean, I think everybody should pay income tax because if, if you're not – if you're not in one of the ways you are invested in a country, one of the ways that you have skin in the game is if you are helping to you know finance the operation of the country. 
Now, obviously, you know, somebody who has makes $30,000 is going to pay less in net taxes than somebody who makes $300,000. But I, I was bringing this up because I, I was stunned that the most most recent year that they have verifiable information from is 2014. In the tax year 2014, according to a report just released by the IRS, um, what they estimate is that about 32% of filers, people who filed, 32%, that is over 52 million people, filed returns for what the IRS calls non-taxable returns, which means they paid no net individual income tax. Now, yes, they paid sales tax. Presumably, they might have paid property tax. But they paid no net individual tax. Now, maybe it's because their income was such that there's no tax due and owing. It might be the fact that because of tax credits or or whatever, it reduced their income so that they paid nothing. And in many cases, um, you know, people actually ended up getting you know money money back. They ended up with with a net positive out of this. Now, I look, I, I'm I'm with everybody when it comes to nobody likes paying taxes. I, I get that, but I do think you have to pay taxes in order to, again, fund the different operations of government. I think it becomes a dangerous precedent when you have 35% of the American public that, 35% of the American public that, that isn't paying any net income tax. And these are just the people that filed. My guess is that if you looked at the people who didn't have an obligation to file, it's it's a lot greater than that because you, you have no skin in the game. You know, what what do you care about, you know, how tax dollars are being spent if you're not paying taxes? You know, what do you care about priorities? I mean, I think we all need skin in the game. And I believe, and I understand how this is going to be politically unpopular, but when you're looking at tax reform, one of the things you need to look at is to make sure that everybody participates in the tax system. Uh, yes, that means, you know, you're, you're going to make somebody who makes $25,000 pay some tax. Yeah, obviously not as much as the person who makes a quarter million. But, but yes, if you're going to live in this country, I think everybody has an obligation to contribute in some way, shape, or form. Because then, once you get skin in the game, if all you're talking about is spending other people's money, it's much easier to make that decision than if it's some of your money that is being spent. of filers in 2014 had no net taxes. Wow. It's 9.56, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Coming up in 10 minutes, it's an opinion piece in the New York Times. Really caught my attention. I'm going to share it with you and we're going to discuss. The headline is, my daughter is not transgender. She's a tomboy. Um, I will read it. It is going to be very controversial. And a matter of fact, I'm already getting a number of texts about this. All right. Here, here, here is here is the story yesterday. You had this horrible situation of the shooting in Fresno. Let, let me just share with you a portion of the way the L.A. Times reports this. Corey Ali Mohammed told his family there was a war going on between blacks and whites in America. On social media, he referred to white people as devils. Earlier this year, he posted a rap album on YouTube replete with violent, explicit, racially-themed lyrics, including referring to himself in one song as a, quote, black soldier, end quote. On Tuesday morning, police say Muhammad stalked the streets of downtown Fresno, 
fatally shooting three white men with a three fifty seven caliber revolver. Before surrendering to police, he allegedly shouted, Allah Akbar, that is, of course, God is great, and expressed hatred towards white people and the government, according to the Fresno police chief. Local authority, okay, um... Local authorities don't believe the attack was an act of terrorism. The chief said investigators didn't believe Muhammad worked with anyone else in the attack. Um, He is also, um, in addition to Tuesday's killings, Muhammad was suspected in the fatal shooting of a security guard, also a white male um, that happened last week. His father said that his son believed that he was part of an ongoing war between whites and blacks and that a battle was about to take place. The attack began about 10.45 a.m. on the streets of Fresno yesterday. Within a few seconds, a second burst of gunfire was heard, then a third and a fourth. A total of 16 rounds were fired in four locations. So what you have is this guy who is just walking on the streets of Fresno looking for white people to murder. The headline in the L.A. Times... Hate crime suspected after gunman kills three white men in downtown Fresno. Hate crime suspected. Gee, what is it that causes the headline writer to believe it is suspected? You identify white people as devils. You say that you believe there is a war, and then you systematically walk down the street and start murdering white people, yelling Allah Akbar, and the headline writer says, hate crime suspected. Well, I don't think you need to be Sherlock Holmes to recognize that there's nothing suspected about this. This was, in fact, another example of a hate crime. And I guess it makes it what's scary is about whether it's white on black crime or black on white crime. How many people are out there like this character who are willing to act out in this fashion? Hate crime suspected. Yes. Yes, I would suspect a hate crime as well. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, her daughter is not transgender. She's a tomboy. She says deal. Stick around. It's 9.59. It's 10.09. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Uh, just talked to our director of marketing and asked about Insight. And I said, if, if somebody wants to buy a ticket now, um, can they? And he said, well, we can We can make arrangements to try to accommodate you. So a lot of people have been doing it in just the last day or so. So if you're looking for a fun and interesting and entertaining and informative evening, it is tonight, Insight 2017, 630 at the Country Springs Hotel. Um, we'll, we can adjust stuff, assuming that um, so if you're one of those people that's been on the fence, do I want to come or not, you can go to WTMJ.com. If you buy a ticket, we will be able to, I am promised, I've been told that we will be able to accommodate you. So if you still want to go, check it out. Um, we are also, in addition to our announced guests, we're going to have a surprise guest as well. Um, um, somebody closely linked to one of our announced guests. I'm looking forward to this quite a bit. Hey, coming up in about a half hour, I want to revisit something we talked about yesterday. Um, Donald Trump in Kenosha yesterday talking about a crackdown on this foreign worker program. I think it's way about time. I think that there are companies, including Milwaukee companies, who have been abusing this program. And it needs to be reined in. We will discuss. But I want to start this hour. We, we call this dealer's choice. And I always do this this segment. It's um, maybe not necessarily the, the biggest issue, the most pressing issue. We're not talking about sending you know missiles into North Korea. But it's a very talkable one. And I've been waiting to read a story like this. Um, over the last year or two, we as a country have been obsessed with 
transgender bathrooms and things like this. You know, this idea that we we need to be understanding of people who are born, you know, with one gender and identify as the other, and there and. And, and I don't want to go down that route. I mean, I, I understand this, but there, there's a flip side to this. And I want to share an op-ed piece that appears in the New York Times. Here's the headline. My daughter is not transgender. She's a tomboy. It's written by a woman named Lisa Selen Davis. Quote, I just wanted to check, the teacher said. Your child wants to be called a boy, right? Or is she a boy that wants to be called a girl? What is it again? I cocked my head. I'm used to correcting strangers who mistake my seven-year-old daughter for a boy 100% of the time. In fact, I love correcting them, making them reconsider their perceptions of what a girl looks like. But my daughter had been attending the after-school program where this woman taught for six months. She's a girl, I said. The teacher looked unconvinced. Really? She's a girl? And you can refer to her as a girl? Later, when I relayed this conversation to my daughter, she said... More girls should look like this, so it's more popular, so grown-ups won't be so confused. My daughter wears track pants and T-shirts. She has shaggy short hair. The look she requested from the hairdresser was, think Luke Skywalker in Episode 4. Most, but that would be the first Star Wars, most, but not all of her friends are boys. She is sporty and strong, incredibly sweet, and she's a girl. And yet she is asked by the pediatrician, by her teachers, by people who have known her for many years, if she feels like or wants to be called or wants to be a boy. In many ways, this is wonderful. It shows a much-needed sensitivity to gender nonconformity and transgender issues. It is also considerate of adults to ask her in the beginning. But when they continue to question her gender identity and are skeptical of her response, the message they send is that a girl cannot look and act like her and still be a girl. She is not gender nonconforming. She is gender role not con- nonconforming. She does not fit into the mold that we adults, who have increasingly eschewed millenniums, old gender roles ourselves, as women who work outside the home and men participate in the domestic sphere, sphere still impose on our children. Left alone, would boys really never wear pink? That's rhetorical. Pink was for decades considered a masculine color. Would girls naturally reject matchbox cars? Of course not. But if they show preferences for these things, we label them. Somehow, as we have broadened our awareness of and support for gender nonconformity, we've narrowed what we think a boy or girl can look or sound like. My daughter was in love with a look. The look evolved. Sadly, she moved from Patti Smith's ties and blazers to the dude's stained T-shirt and sweatpants. But it has always been just a look even if it came with the rejection of princesses, which also delighted me, and a willingness to play family with both boys and girls as long as she could be the dog or the police officer. I want trans kids to feel free and safe enough to be who they are. I also want adults to have a fluid enough idea of gender roles that a seven-year-old girl can dress like a boy and not be asked by people who know her whether she is one. The message I want to send to my daughter is this. You are an awesome girl for not giving into pressure to be and look a certain way. I want her to be proud to be a girl. The kids get it, but the grown-ups do not. While celebrating the diversity of sexual and gender identities, we need to celebrate tomboys and other girls who fall outside the narrow confines of gender roles. Don't tell them they're not girls. My daughter is happy with her body, comfortable with the way she looks, thousands of times happier and more comfortable than I am or ever have been. She's my hero, or rather, she is my heroine. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I found this to be a fascinating piece. Here you have this woman. Her seven-year-old daughter is a tomboy. Her seven-year-old daughter plays with boys. She likes her style is, hey, I, I want I want the short haircut. I want the Luke Skywalker look. I, I'm sporty. I, I am. It is the classic example of a tomboy. And yet, when she tries to go out in public, what ends up happening is that um, she tries to go out in in public. And, and what ends up happening is, okay, she, she's questioned by people, well, are, are you sure you're really a girl? And, and should we be referring to her as a girl, or would she prefer to be identified as a boy? And the mom is saying, wait a second, she's a tomboy. How did this get this out of control? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we have roles for, for tomboys? Do we have roles for guys that maybe they identify with what are traditionally girls type of things. Does that mean that they're they're transgender? Or have we got to the point, have we really gotten to this point where, where you can't be a tomboy? My guess is, you know, you maybe maybe that was you when you were growing up. And and nobody questioned, you know, whether what your sexual identity was. It was just, hey, hey, this is this this tomboy that's out there. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In our effort to be so gender understanding, have we gone way too far? And, you know, can you be a tomboy nowadays without being, I don't know, transgender? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1016. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A new book is out detailing the failed presidential bid of Hillary Clinton. Um, it's called Shattered. I ordered it last night. Among the, some of the details includes where blame ought to fall for coming up short. Steve Scafidi tells you where he thinks the blame should be placed. Tune in to Scafidi and Bill Stat. That is 12.07 this afternoon. All right, I just shared with you this opinion piece in the New York Times. It's written by this woman who's got a 7-year-old daughter who's a tomboy. Right. She she dresses like a boy. She wears her hair like a boy. Um, She likes to do, quote unquote, boy stuff. She likes to hang out with boys. But she's a girl. And yet the mom says, you know, it doesn't matter whether she's talking to the teachers or doctors or neighbors or whatever. Everybody keeps saying, would you like to us to refer to her as as a boy? And then they're shocked when they say, no, she she's a girl, which makes me wonder, have we gotten to a point where. You can't be a tomboy anymore. I mean, it's have we become so obsessed with these different types of gender identities that when you see a young girl who, again, wants to act like a tomboy, that we automatically have to assume, well, it, it, she's, it, this can't be a girl. This has to be, okay, somebody who's physically a girl but, you know, um, but is really a boy trapped in a female body. Courtney, in Stevens Point, says, um, I am... Living, breathing proof. You can be a tomboy and not be transgender. I am 27, approaching 28, and I've been a tomboy for as long as I can remember. And I did not suffer from any body image. I do not think I'm a man in a woman's body. I'm not attracted to women. I just don't fit the societal standard as an overly feminine woman. I love to drink whiskey and beer. I fish, I camp. I drive a truck. That doesn't make me transgender or any less of a woman. Yeah, see, that's... 
that's this thing. But we're now getting to the stage in this country where you, you can't be like that. You can't. If if you've got the kid that identifies as the boy, as identify that's a girl, but still again, you know, likes to dress like the boys, likes to wear her hair that way. Well, now it's this huge crisis, and you've got the doctors that are talking to the mother, the doctors, for goodness' sake, saying, "Well, she's seven years old. You know, do we do we need to study what her real gender identity is?" And the mom's going, "No, she just this is just her look." So as we try to go down this route. And we try to say, okay, we want to be more understanding about, you know, people who do have these gender identity issues. At the same time, can't we also recognize that there's a lot more people out there who don't have gender identity issues? They just, in the case of gals, they're tomboys. Maybe she'll grow out of this. Maybe she won't. Doesn't doesn't matter. But, you know, we don't need to question whether or not, you know, you're really a boy trapped in a girl's body. Maybe you're just a girl who is expressing herself in this particular fashion. Just saying. 1022, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, and it's this quest for understanding. It's now like, oh, oh my gosh, you, you can't have tomboys. Well, all right, uh, let's see. When With the series tied one-to-one, the Bucks and Raptors now head to the BMO Harris-Bradley Center Thursday night. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause are live from the corner of 4th and State with our Buckshots pregame coverage at 640 Thursday. Okay, Donald Trump was in Kenosha yesterday uh, talking about his desire to curl tail or cut back on the the foreign worker program. Um, We discussed this yesterday, but I I, want to revisit this in light of some of Trump's remarks. What happens now is is there is there is a law which allows companies to apply for what they call these H-1B visas. And the the visas allow companies to bring in people from outside of the country to work. They are designed to go to people who have skills that the companies need um, that they can't find in America. And and so they're designed for, again, these these are supposed to go to highly paid people with very, very specialized skills. And there's a huge competition because there's about, what, some like 85,000 of these visas which are which are allowed. So, again, it's like skilled people. You need some sophisticated nuclear physicist, you know, to come in and work. Okay, this is your way of bringing that, that person in. Well, that's not the way this program has has operates in reality what happens is the the applications for the these visas more and more there have been like staffing companies that have applied for for the these visas and the people that are coming in on these visas are not highly skilled for example computer programmers who are filling jobs that americans can't what they are is there are people who are coming in um, to work for American companies because they are willing to work for less money. And this has been 
this sort of giant outsourcing shell game that's been going on, and it's playing out at some American companies now, including some local companies. Think Johnson's Controls, um, think Rockwell, think Manpower, where the, the people that are coming in, uh, again, it's not like they're bringing in particularly skilled people. They might be bringing in, say, pro, uh, programmers or whatever, but they come in, and in some cases what happens is Existing workers then are expected to train these people who are coming in typically from India for they train them as how to do their jobs. And then the people end up going back to India and the jobs get outsourced. This is not, at least in my opinion, what this foreign worker program was ever intended to do. It was intended to say, look, for companies who have special needs and you can't fill them in this country, all right, yes, you you can go overseas and you can find people. This was never, at least in my opinion, intended to be an outplacement, uh, a way to make it easier for American companies to outsource jobs. Now, I understand the reality is that you've got a lot of companies, including some big Wisconsin companies, who in an effort to save money are getting rid of American jobs and sending them overseas where people will work for a lot less money. I am not naive. I did not just fall off the turnip truck. I understand that that is the reality. What is frustrating, though, is that some of the companies that are doing this, that are outsourcing, are using these visa programs, that this visa program, to effectively make it easier for this outsourcing. We will bring people into this country on the visa program. We will have our existing workforce, who actually is more skilled than the people who are coming in, we will have them train the people who are coming in, and then we will lay all of our American citizens off and we'll send these jobs back overseas. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I am not calling, and neither is Trump, I am not calling to end this foreign worker program. I understand that it has a value as it is intended. In application, though, and I'm not saying that every one of the thousands of people that comes in this country every year fits into this category, but it is apparent that more and more, including local companies, are taking advantage of this program not to fill needs that cannot be filled by by American workers, but rather they are doing this as a way to facilitate the outsourcing of jobs. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And to the extent that President Trump or Congress, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, can limit what I think is an abuse of this program, I think they're doing something. I think they're on the right track. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be cracking down on this foreign worker program to the extent that it's not being used in the way that I think it was originally intended? Should this be used as an excuse to make it easier for companies to outsource work? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, at least two local companies that have been cutting jobs, Manpower and Northwestern Mutual, have also been taking advantage of this foreign workers program. Um, 
what's been going on is, for example, according to the journal Sentinel, Northwestern Mutual, um, which has been in the process of a series of layoffs, they filed applications for 425 foreign workers, manpower, which is, again, in the process of doing layoffs. Now, manpower... What they're saying is they're saying, well, you know, we're we're just, uh, you know, b- because of technology, you know, we don't need as many jobs. Well, that's not true. What manpower has been doing, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, manpower made the decision that here, what we can do is we can bring in foreign workers, we can have our existing workers train these foreign workers, and then what's going to happen is the foreign workers are going to go back to India, they will work for less money, and we will lay off. The, the existing people, and they're telling what manpower is telling is the people who are um, getting laid off, they're being told, well, you know, if you want to keep your job, you know, for even a couple more months, and you want to get severance pay, what you have to do is train your work, train your the, the, your replacement, who is then going to go back to India and work for a fraction of what you are working. You want to talk about adding insult to injury, and of course, the irony with manpower is a company that is supposed to be providing employment for people, you know, is is ending up doing this. But this is what Trump is going after. This whole notion that you're going to have these foreign companies. Look, again, I understand this this whole idea of, you know, you want to try to save money and things like that. But it does seem to me that this visa program, which is created to bring in the highly skilled workers, the, the people that the workforce in America, we don't have somebody who knows how to do this particular thing. So, you know, obviously, if the company is going to continue to grow, we want to be able to bring in these engineers from Germany or wherever. All right. I get it. No problem with that. But that's not how it is being used in reality. It is being used and abused as a way to expedite the outsourcing of American jobs. The people that are coming in, in many cases, are not more qualified or filling vacancies that Americans can't fill. Rather, they are people who want to take the American jobs. That's not what this program was intended to do. And if a company wants to outsource, if you want to send jobs to India, like Manpower apparently wants to do, okay, let them send jobs to India. But don't abuse this visa program to bring in people who are less skilled than the Americans who are doing the jobs and then have them trained. Now, okay, maybe that makes me the ugly American, but I I, I don't think so. I am not overly protectionist, and I understand that we work in this global economy and we live in in a global economy. economy. But, but, I mean, bigger picture is if you're going to outsource, fine, outsource. Don't use this visa program as an excuse to take away American jobs and then outsource them. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think Trump is absolutely right on this. As a matter of fact, I don't think his orders yesterday go far enough. I think this is something that Congress really needs to get involved in, in reining in, especially now it's a lot of these staffing agencies that apply for the, the visas and then they get the visas, and then they bring the people in. Let's start with Kirk in uh, Kurt in Waukesha. Kurt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Uh, my big problem or issue with it, I'm retired law enforcement. Uh, this outsourcing, uh, they're bringing these people in. We're teaching them uh, all our, uh, giving them their, our knowledge, our yep. databases and all that stuff. Who does background and security checks on these people? Um, yeah. You know, it, it's just uh, I'm totally against outsourcing to begin with. 
um, if they want to keep jobs here, they got to stop doing this. And the bean counters, that's what they look at. They don't look at the final possible results of fraud and other criminal activity. And uh, yeah. I have a big problem with that. Well, no, right. They, plus, it's not what it was intended for. I mean, you're, you're not... What the way it is being used in reality nowadays is not what the intent of the program was for. Yes, I understand that there's highly skilled people across the world, and you want to be able to bring them into the country. And I, I, I have several friends who work um, as attorneys who who do exactly this. You know, they work with companies who have special needs. And gee, there's a there's a engineer or somebody that that's somewhere in Europe. And again, that's the examples I'm thinking of. But it doesn't have to be Europe. And yes, we want to bring them in, and we want to let them work at this particular specialized trade. That's what this program was intended to do, not let's bring in a bunch of semi-skilled programmers from India, have them trained by the American workers, then go back to India where they'll work for a fraction of the American salary, also the company can make more for the bottom line. Um, On our talk and text line, we have a note. It's correct. Disney did exactly what Manpower is doing about three years ago. That's right. They did it in California and Florida. California protested so much that they stopped, but Walt Disney World in Florida carried on. We don't go to Walt Disney World anymore. That that's it is exactly correct. Um, University of California did the same thing. This is more and more of a trend. Again, not bringing in people with specialties, just bringing in people who will do the job for less. Let's talk to Mike in Oconomowoc. Mike, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I have to agree. I don't go to Disney World anymore either, and I was there when that program happened. When they took mm-hmm. the whole IT team and told them, you will train all the people from NDR, you get no severance pay. Right, and then they're going back to India, where they will work for a fraction of what we're paying the American workers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's true. But uh, you mentioned Congress needs to get involved. you got to remember, Senator Rubio initiated this program in the Senate. Mm-hmm. See, and it, but I guess here, here's my point, Mike. I don't, I don't have a problem with the program in theory. I have a problem with the way the program is now you know, working, where you have like the big staffing agencies and stuff that are doing this. I mean, I do think that there always needs to be a, a vehicle to bring in those highly trained workers that have skills that, that, that the Americans don't necessarily have or the jobs you can't fill. The problem is the manpowers and the Disney worlds, they're... they're they're not filling it with people that, that with jobs that Americans can't fill. They're just using this as a way to get cheaper workers. Well, that's true. And uh, as Senator Rubio says, well, it's working. Right. Well, it's not right. I mean, thanks. See, no, thanks it's not no, it's not working. I I agree with you completely. It, no, thanks. It is not. It is not working as it was designed. I do not think the program should be ended, but but the way. It's used by manpower locally, the way it's used by Disney World, the way it's, I think, being used by a number of other local companies, which is essentially a way to outsource American jobs, which is never what this was intended to do. That's just the practical effect of this. And I think that this aspect of the program needs to be reined in, and it needs to be reined in big time. Coming up next... Is it the end of the road for Bill O'Reilly? I admit I am intrigued by this story. 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten forty six, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I admit I have been intrigued by this story since it broke. 
Uh, Bill O'Reilly is is the gorilla in the room when it comes to cable news hosting. Four million viewers, uh, four million viewers nightly, which is an enormous amount. Um, he has made hundreds of millions of dollars for Fox News. New York Times a couple weeks ago ran that this. I guess it's an expose, you know, talking about how over the last 10 years or so, there have been a number of female employees who had made allegations that uh, O'Reilly was was a sexual harasser. Um, the, the, some, most of these had been out there, in, in, but, but not all. There's a prominent one. Apparently, it was a former producer on Fox News who ended up settling for $9 million. And it's still unclear whether Fox paid some of that or whether O'Reilly paid it all or whatever. But a, a total of, I, I think it was five women, at least initially, had, had settled for, including this $9 million, $13 million. Okay? O'Reilly's never admitted any sort of wrongdoing. He said, look, I'm a target, and, and people you know, make these allegations against me. There are other women who have come forward and made similar sort of, of allegations. Um, a number of advertisers, including big-time advertisers, uh, ended up pulling out, at least temporarily. In some cases, the advertisers, and I think he's lost like 30 advertisers, the advertisers shifted their their advertising to other Fox programs, just don't put us on O'Reilly. In some cases, they called, they canceled it um, totally. But O'Reilly continues to be incredibly popular. As a matter of fact, the last week that he was on the air, his numbers year to year were higher. So at least among among viewers... This scandal, if you want to call it that, is not having any sort of impact. It is having an impact on the advertisers. So Riley, O'Reilly is now, he's on vacation. They announced this, what, a week ago Tuesday, um, that he was on a, what was, what was a regularly scheduled vacation. I think he's in Europe or something like that. Um, he is under pressure now um, as to whether or not he is going to come back and there are reports out um that he and that that his representatives and fox news and cnn is reporting this and new york magazine is reporting this that o'reilly's o'reilly's people are in negotiations with fox news to essentially arrange a a buyout of his contract now the o'reilly people say that this isn't true but there's other suggestions that say that this may in fact be going on I admit that I am a little bit surprised by this because even though there, there have been protests, you know, you see people showing up outside the Fox News studios going, hey, ho, hey, ho, you know, Bill O'Reilly's got to go or all that stuff. Um, the truth is his his viewing base has not abandoned him. Matter of fact, there was a story I was looking at yesterday. Um, his fill-ins for the balance of the week last week, um, his fill-ins, um, the, the ratings – dramatically, dramatically lower. I mean, for the three days they had fill-ins. I have the numbers here. Um, numbers were down down big time. I mean, 20%, 30% drop-off in, in viewership. So the viewers, at least so far, have not abandoned Bill O'Reilly. But it does seem, if you read some of the stories, that the higher-ups at Fox News are ready to abandon him. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I admit I did not perhaps think that it was going to go this far because to me, as long as his viewers remain loyal, that at the end of the day is what it should be all about. 
But at least if you believe some of the reports, it looks like Fox might be prepared to bail on him. Should Bill O'Reilly, should he be fired? Should they get rid of him? Should they dump him because of these allegations? I have said no. I've said let the public decide. But Fox might not be in that position. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Is this the end of the line for Bill O'Reilly? We discuss. It's 1050. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Dave downtown. Dave, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think the thing with uh, with O'Reilly is there's such a double standard that exists in the, in the mainstream media. I mean, mm-hmm. look at what's been tossed around about Bill Clinton. I mean, these things go back, whatever. I mean, some, you could say, weren't credible, whatever you want to say, but more or less, he did settle a lawsuit. Right. And this guy is a oh. former president. He's, I would say... Oh, oh, well, let me give you, Dave, let me give you a local example. Remember remember a few years ago, John Norquist, then the mayor of the city oh, of Milwaukee, yeah. involved in a very highly, uh, he was involved in, he had a, an extramarital relationship with one of his employees. She then alleged sexual harassment. And, and after this became public, you had this news conference where you had all these prominent feminists who, you know, I, I think permanently disgraced themselves by showing up, you know, and essentially saying we're going to stand by Norquist. Well, okay, if he had been a conservative, that wouldn't have happened. But because, hey, this is a liberal guy here, you know, we're going to look the other way. There's no question. Among the left, there is an incredible double standard, in my opinion, when it comes to this stuff. And you could also say, too, maybe a seven or eight years ago, Mary Christie Seraphin, where supposedly something happened in an elevator. Right. And right. So it's the same thing. I think the people are really getting tired that. It's not an equal playing field. Bill Riley is a conservative, so let's attack him. The other thing that I really personally don't like is these like uh, sexual harassment rolodexes that are brought up, you know, over time. You know, look, look what happened with Trump. Like him or hate him, how long did uh, they have that entertainment yeah. tonight? Have that audio clip and all well, of a sudden they roll it out now well, well right i mean i mean th- see i'll be curious i mean thanks for, i mean i will be curious now fox some of the things are that fox says it didn't know about some of this stuff but but a lot of these things if fox knew about it over the years that's a very good question okay why why is it now is it because the new york times decides that they're going to go after bill o'reilly look to me i don't know bill o'reilly from adam okay and i, I actually i don't watch talking head shows on news but but this is a very very popular guy the show is very very popular and you know i guess i'm looking at this saying if the viewers if the viewership doesn't drop off if the viewers don't care um and don't see this as a big deal and fox has known about most of this i mean what's really going on here steve and appear steve you're on 620 wtmj hey jeff hi steve very well thank you what do you think uh well you know i think the 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 facts have to come out and i don't condone what he does but i think rupert murdoch is a bit hypocritical you know if you look at all the females on those shows and granted they're really smart as a whip but you know they're not exactly wearing business attire well, well there, there's you're right there, there's no question that one of the ways that fox knew fox you know has built up it's it, you know it built it's not just the conservative stuff but right they they find attractive smart women and then they they dress they, they dress them accordingly in an effort to try to attract 
viewers. Now, I think women have the right to dress any way that they want, and that's not a big issue. But you're right. You um, well, th- thanks for call. I mean, th- now the problem is, like, I'm not going to condone b- what Bill O'Reilly did. I, I mean, I- I'm not. And if he's engaged in this type of behavior, he deserves to be sued, and you know, you deserve to have those settlements. But this really smacks of the fact that okay, it's the New York Times that's now bringing this stuff up, and I do think that there is this double standard. If this wasn't, if this was somebody to on the left side of the spectrum if this was a rachel maddow for example would the left be out there protesting and screaming hey ho rachel maddow has to go um and i think the answer is i think the answer is no i thought that o'reilly would survive this just because if the viewers didn't bail on him think that they would last it does and again the wall street journal has a piece out today um, more and more people are suggesting that this could be the end of the O'Reilly factor. I admit I'd be a little bit surprised, and this isn't condoning Bill O'Reilly or what he did. It's just if the general public doesn't bail on him, you know, would Fox? Gary in Sussex. Gary, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Gary. Um, okay, I watch Fox News literally every night. I I love, the, you know, like Waters, and I love Carl. Uh, Tucker Carlson right. and stuff like that. But Bill O'Reilly, just in the last few years, it just, every time I watch him, it just bothers me. I, every time I look at him, I think about, what's that guy named Anthony Weiner or something oh, like yeah. that, you know? Right, who who continues the, to try to make comebacks, right? Yeah. <laughs> the the yeah, New York, the disgraced congressman, yeah. So, so, so for is, you, the so, so it's not, so the allegations of sexual harassment do really bother you, and that's one of the reasons me. why you don't watch it? Yeah, watch him? I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't watch him anymore. I'm a married guy. I love my wife for 44 years. She's the love of my life. I, you know, anybody goes out there, he kind of denies it, but he still pays 9 or $10 million. Yeah, well, he paid the, the, somebody paid the one woman $9 million. Yeah, yeah. no, thanks. thanks. And I, look, and, and, and I, I, I respect that. Again, I, I don't watch the show one way or the other. I, I don't. But, um, I mean, I respect that. I was waiting to see how all this played out. And at least so far in the ratings, viewers in general did not abandon him. The advertisers cut back, and and I thought as long as the viewers don't abandon him, you know, Fox would not abandon him. It now appears that that's not necessarily going to be the case. Don't be surprised to see if he's gone soon. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Brewers wrap up their first road trip of the season today when they close out their series at Wrigley Field. Jeff and Lane begin coverage of a Brewers Cub matinee at 12.45 this afternoon. Hey, coming up in about 16 minutes, um, normally we do Pop Culture Corner on Thursdays, but tomorrow, I won't say the show is preempted. We've got Insight 2017 tonight, and um, we're going to do a rebroadcast of that from 9 until noon tomorrow. So don't have an opportunity to do Pop Culture Corner, so we're going to do that in just a few minutes. I've got a uh, special one related to a lot of the stuff that is going on, and I I don't want to miss that this week. In addition, every morning at 9.10... We have our Follow the Brewers contest. Again, we're not going to do it tomorrow because we're going to do a, we're doing a rebroadcast of Insight. So we'll have two Follow the Brewers winners on Friday. So be listening to that as well. Again, Insight 2017 is this evening. 
Um, I, our, our marketing people tell me that they can make arrangements. If there's anybody out there that wants to come out and see it and you haven't bought tickets yet, you can go to WTMJ.com and uh, you can join us. Uh, the, the lineup, I'm really looking forward to it. It's Scott Walker, yeah, the Governor Scott Walker. It's Joe Bartolotta. It's Bob Babish and Don Smiley. It's the Attorney General of the state, Brad Schimmel. We've got Wayne Larravee. We've got Larry McCarran. We'll be talking sports. So we're talking sports and entertainment and food. We've got three justices from the state Supreme Court that are going to be joining us. It, it just, I think it's going to be very, a very interesting evening. If you want to join us, they, they tell me they can still make arrangements to get a couple people in. You go to WTMJ.com and you can uh, pick up your tickets. It should be just, it should be just a lot of fun. I'm very much looking forward to it. All right. A couple years ago, you were not able to turn on the television. Or, or actually turn on radio stations like ours without being bombarded by a particular type of ad. Now, Hondo, you, do you remember the type of ads that you just would see, particularly in the fall, that it seemed like every third ad on television and every fifth ad on our radio station was? It was fantasy sports. Remember whether it was DraftKings or you know, all the various ones that they had, FanDuel or whatever, there was ad after ad after ad, and you had all these people, I, I want all this money playing the fantasy sports. It was biggest around the football season, but they had them during the NBA season. They had them during the NBA, the, the baseball season as well. I mean, fantasy sports were this huge thing, and they were spending a ton of money advertising to try to push people to do this. Well, what happened is a number of state legislators, starting in New York, but, but also other places, stepped up and said, wait a second, this fantasy sports, um, this type of thing, this, this really, this is a form of gambling, and it needs to be regulated. It, it can't just be the, the wild, wild west. And if you are, are doing these things, Again, where you're making just a ton of money doing this, this I mean, in fantasy sports or like fantasy football, fantasy baseball, whatever, but you put money into an account, You there's all sorts of different games you can play. You pick your teams, and if you win, you get money put into your account. If you lose, well, you end up losing the money. A number of states said, this is gambling, and, and if it's going to be gambling, it has to be regulated, and it should be taxed. And so as a result, you had a number of states that put the brakes on this. They said, this is, this is illegal in our state. It hasn't been approved, and the only way you can do this, the only way you can do this in New York State, for example, is if you, you know, apply for and get a license, and it's going to cost you a bunch of money to end up doing it. And then what they further said is that once these states started taking the position that this is commercial gambling, well, then what happened is the, the credit card companies, because, I mean, the way you, you play this is you – you, you put money in your account, typically using like a, a, your credit card. You say, okay, here, here I'm going to charge my Visa card $100 or whatever, and then I'll play off that $100. What ended up happening is once the states said, hey, this is illegal gambling, the credit card company started saying, well, okay, well, we're, we're, we're not going to participate. We're not going to allow you to use our credit cards to put money into the, these various accounts you have because they say it's illegal. So as a result of, of this different regulatory stuff, while they still, first of all, a lot of the smaller fantasy sports uh, companies, they have gone under. And the, the two big ones, which once again were this fan duel, um, 
which was the, the FanDuel and the DraftKings, one out of New York, one out of Boston, they are essentially looking at, at merging um, because their business has shrunk so much, and now that's getting looked at by, by regulators. So this is proceeding kind of on a state-by-state basis, and you have a number of different states that are kind of like getting into this, saying, okay, if you want to operate in our state, You've got to register, you've got to get a license, you've got to pay a fee, all those different types of things. These fantasy sports companies are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, hiring lobbyists to work on a state-by-state basis to try to get, uh, again, their industry back up and running. Now, I bring this up because there's a huge story by the Associated Press today talking about how the, the fantasy sports industry has essentially been gutted in the last couple years. And while there are still people who play it, um, it's much more difficult to find places to play, and the interest has apparently waned dramatically, which I think is in large part due to the fact that all the advertising that they were doing has gone away. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Just one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here's what I want to discuss with you, and I, I have a take on this that I will explain in just a minute. I have no doubt that maybe you were one of the regular people that played the, these these fantasy sports. Is this the type of thing that the government needs to regulate, or is this an example of hey, the government could just should just stay out of this? This is people were having fun, people were enjoying themselves. Nobody holds a gun to your head and makes you you know pick a team on a football Sunday to play. Is this an example of where government regulation and threats of litigation are essentially taking the fun out of what was a harmless enterprise? Or is this really a form of commercial gambling, and do we need it heavily regulated? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage uh, Talk and Text Line. And my guess is maybe you you still do play fantasy sports. Uh, Maybe you did. Is this the type of thing that we need government regulation for, or was it operating just fine a couple years ago? I will tell you what I think, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1122. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The next stop on the All-American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin Tour is the Hobnob Restaurant in Racine this Friday. John McCure and the Wisconsin Afternoon News crew will be there starting at 3 o'clock, and they're broadcasting live. Come on out, enjoy a cocktail or a fish fry or both. It's the Hobnob in Racine. It's this Friday starting at 3. It is the All-American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin Tour, and it's only on 620 WTMJ. The, the fantasy sports industry, which was huge, just huge, two years ago, and was a huge boon to TV and radio stations all over the country because they spent a ton of money advertising. Yeah, you can win this, you know, participate, you know, sign up for these things. It, it's taken its hit. Many smaller operators ha- have have folded. Um, last year, at its peak, before all this regulation came in, um, 118 companies offered some form of paid fantasy sports uh, contest. Of those, 81 no longer offer contests. So it's 81 out of 118 which have gone the way of the dinosaur or the print newspaper. Um, the the big ones, the two big ones, FanDuel and DraftKings, they're looking at, at merging. 
But the important thing is whether or not these succeed is because, well, you, you know, you're going to have to get approval to operate in states. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that think that the government should not be involved in this. Now, first of all, I don't I don't have an issue with people who want to do this. I participate. I, I thought it was kind of fun. I mean, I think a couple of years ago I I would spend maybe $20 a week, and sometimes you'd win, sometimes you'd lose. And I, I had a lot of – I had fun doing it. The problem, though, is I, I do believe that this is – I believe that this is gambling. Um, I understand that there is an element of skill that goes into, you know, picking the players and things like that. But at the same time, I mean, I think this is gambling because there's an element of skill that goes into playing, you know, online poker, for example. And remember, you had the big poker craze of several years ago. Um, Well, that's that is. You know, poker tables right now, poker is nowhere near as popular as it was a few years ago. And that's in large part because the government decided to crack down on all these different websites that were offering online play for money poker, saying that, you know, we feel that this is a form of commercial gambling. And once you took the money out of that, a lot of people, I think, just ended up losing interest. You used to have these stories about the people that would go and they'd play 24 hours solid, you know, on the Internet. Once that went away because it was declared to be commercial gambling, essentially the interest in poker faded. I think you're seeing the same thing with the fantasy sports. I, I don't have a problem with people being able to play. I, I do have a problem with the complete and total Wild West nature of this situation. Remember you had stories where you had a couple of the employees who, you know, had scored really big and won a whole bunch of money and I mean the concern was always did they have insider information? Were they able to identify, you know, what what people you know, what players people were picking and then pick some of the different players so they had a greater chance to succeed. I mean, I do think, especially when you're dealing with people's money, that there does need to be a degree of regulation. And I always believed intellectually that if you were going to say that playing poker online was was commercial gambling, well, then I, I don't really see the fantasy sports as being any any real distinction from that. Um, similarly, you have this whole thing with horse racing. There, there's an element of skill in horse racing and being able to handicap races and pick them out. But there's also, you know, other elements that are involved as well. And and again, I mean, if, if you're going to gamble on, on horses, if you're going to bet horse racing, it, it has to comply and you're going to try to do it over the Internet. The various, it has to comply with the state rules and it has to be registered and things like that. So I guess bottom line is, I don't have a problem with the different states saying, hey, we expect this to be regulated in accordance with state law. I guess I wouldn't have a problem if the federal government were to move in and say, okay, we're going to set up national standards for these things. That would all be okay with me. I appreciate that the fantasy sports industry is trying to hang on, but the truth is – they had a they had a big boom. They had a gold rush essentially, based on the fact that they weren't regulated. And the truth of the matter is, they probably always should have been regulated. So it's not as big as is it now. But you do have some of the bigger companies that are now trying to do what they probably should have done in the first place, which is to try to do it right. My guess is, if they're go able to go through the appropriate hoops and they're able to again get the appropriate licenses and get back um, up and doing this, you know, people will play. 
Maybe people won't play to the extent that they played in the past, but people will, in fact, play. So I don't think the fantasy sports industry is going away. But at the same time, I, I do think this Wild West element to it that you saw a couple years ago, that's gone. It's not coming back, and it's probably the right thing. It's 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Bob Donovan, um, who Bob Donovan is a guy that just, he says what needs to be said. And we need, you need more politicians like him. Bob Donovan, of course, um, you know, represents uh, an alderman, uh, aldermanic district, kind of the near south side. Here, here, here's the press release he just put out. A bad day that worsened by the hour. Yesterday, Tuesday, April 18th, was a day that my neighborhood and my district would like to forget. Sadly, it is a day that we will likely remember for years and for all the wrong reasons. At about 3.30 p.m. near South 35th and West Mitchell Streets, a 62-year-old grandfather was killed by a hit-and-run driver as he was trying to walk across the street. He was pronounced dead at the scene. This horrendous traffic crime is just the latest incident in what is now an epidemic of out-of-control and reckless driving across Milwaukee. Can I get an amen? I mean, how many times have we talked about that? The idea that, I mean, there are there are streets in Milwaukee, including main east-west thoroughfares, that you take your life into your hands if you either try to cross them with the light or you even drive on them. That's what's happening in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. Um, Okay, Donovan continues. I expect to be joined by several colleagues as we reach out to the chief to indicate that we need a much more aggressive approach to traffic safety in our city, to which, again, the congregation says amen. Donovan concludes, continues, and to be clear, I am not attacking the Milwaukee Police Department or its officers, but it is clear we need to reprioritize traffic enforcement and provide adequate officer staffing to deal with the level of disorder that we are experiencing. My day actually started with a shooting at 2 a.m. on my block. A woman shot on her way to work. She survived, but this was, as one can surmise, a traumatizing and disruptive incident for me, my family, and our neighbors. Then a bit later yesterday, the George Webb restaurant at 21st and West Mitchell was robbed. Again, this is a neighborhood place where I regularly stop to get a bite or a cup of coffee. And to top it off, a popular tavern in my district was robbed yesterday at gunpoint. If all of this yesterday, okay, a hit-and-run fatality at 3.30, a woman shot on his block at 2 a.m., a George Webb restaurant robbed, and a popular tavern robbed at gunpoint yesterday. I mean, that's that's a superfecta of, of bad criminal activity. If all of this yesterday in one aldermanic district doesn't point out how out of control portions of Milwaukee have become, then I don't know what will. When will enough be enough? Well, if the Common Council cannot agree that we need to hold people accountable for their crimes, and there are several members of the Common Council who feel exactly that way, and if some of my colleagues seem to think that we are being too hard on criminals, just watch a replay of yesterday's council meeting and see for yourself, then I am dumbfounded. And if anyone is satisfied with the current level of public safety in Milwaukee, then they must be nuts. That's what I love about Donovan. He's absolutely right. If you are satisfied with the level of public safety in Milwaukee, you must absolutely be nuts. This is the type of thing. See, this is why I love Donovan. He says stuff. He says stuff that, number one, it is true. And number two, a lot of the politically correct politicians who don't want to ruffle feathers, um, they just don't have the guts to say. And, you know, here you have Bob Donovan, his district, shooting on his block at 2 in the morning, Local George Webb's down the street from where he lives robbed, local tavern robbed, and a 62-year-old man killed in a hit-and-run hit collision 
what does that make it? We're, we're, we're certainly in the double digits. I forget, with hit and runs in Milwaukee just in the first three and a half uh, months of the, of the year. It's, um, it's the mean streets out there, and at least it's good to have some elected officials who are willing to talk about it. Okay. Um, all right. Um, here's the deal. We have no show tomorrow because we're going to be doing a rebroadcast of, of Insight um, tonight. So typically on Thursday, we devote a couple segments to what I call Pop Culture Corner. It's our chance to kind of take a break from all the heavy lifting and you know talk about a little bit of fun stuff. So since we don't have a show Thursday, I wanted to do at least an abbreviated version of Pop Culture Corner today. I, this is a great time of year. If you are, like me, a sports fan, you've got the NFL draft that is coming up. You've got the baseball season that is getting into full swing. You've got the NBA playoffs. And, and I'm, I'm not typically a big NBA fan, but I, I do love the games in, in the playoffs because the intensity ratchets up. I'm not a hockey fan, but you've got, you know, the, the hockey playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs that are going around. You've got, you know, the, the Kentucky Derby that's coming up. You've got the NASCAR thing that's starting. This is, it's sort of like a golden time of year for, for sports fans. And I, I've been watching a lot of sports on TV. And I'm always, I, I'm just amazed at some of the incredible athletic performances you see. I, I just, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's basketball or baseball or hockey. You watch some of the things that some of these people can do, and, and you're just I'm blown away with how talented they are. So here's what I'd like to do for Pop Culture Corner today. In honor of, again, all the different sports activities that are going on, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who is who's the greatest athlete that you ever saw? When I get the opportunity to you know talk to a Bob Euchre, you know uh, people who've played the game or whatever, that's one of the questions that's always in my mind. I mean, for somebody who really knows something about the game, what, uh, whether it's baseball or basketball or whatever, you know who was the best? And I guess we we all have our opinions, and I'm not isolating this to a different sport, but who was the best athlete that you ever saw? It could be baseball, it could be basketball, it could be football, it could be auto racing, whatever. The best athlete that you ever saw and why. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, when we do these segments, like I say, I always encourage you to call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. We'll be back. It's Pop Culture Corner for a Wednesday. The best athlete you ever saw. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1141, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven forty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. We're talking pop culture corner. This is a great time for athletics, and we're discussing who the greatest athlete was that you have ever seen. Um, Kathy, email Serena Williams. She has dominated women's tennis for twenty years. She certainly has. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jerry in Green Bay. Jerry, good morning. Good morning. Best athlete you ever saw. The best athlete I ever saw, I would have to say, I was in baseball, and he was kind of an Iron Man of baseball, um, and uh, his name was Cal Ripken Jr. Who played? Yeah, I mean, who? Um, you know, Lou Gehrig's record, you know, just fell. Cal Ripken. It, it was. It was the. He might not have been the best ball, baseball player ever, but he was certainly. I mean, when you want to talk about durability and stuff, he was incredible playing for the Orioles. Yeah, I agree. You know, his his athleticism. 
was, uh, I think, unparalleled when he was playing. You know, he was there all the time. Uh, right, which is which is what is important. Thanks for the call. Now, it's interesting. On our text line, which has just kind of exploded, um, three people, all right, uh, say the same thing. Derek writes, Bo Jackson, what he could do was incredible. I wonder how good he would have been how he had not got hurt. How can you forget him running over uh, Brian Bosworth? John says, Bo Jackson. Uh, no question about it. And uh, then a third, Joe, Joe Bojax as well. I mean, he was just an amazing baseball player and, you know, an, just an incredible football player as well. And the, the days of, of seeing people that can excel at that level, there's just not too many of them. 414-799-1620. Paul in Pewaukee. Paul, good morning. You're 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Oh. I would have to say Tiger Woods. Yep. I think for... Extended period, I think, was just incredible for for a period of time. And now, you see, there's some people, Paul, that don't necessarily think about golfers that think of golfers as being, you know, athletes. But there there was a period of probably the better part of a decade where I don't know that there's anybody who dominated his sport like like Tiger Woods dominated his his sport. It was just incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Thanks. Now, of course. Yeah. I mean, thanks. I mean, I. I actually think it it also shows how hard that is to sustain it because once, you know, a combination of just the the nagging injuries that became more serious, and then the whole idea of you know when his personal life kind of um, fell apart, um, you put both of those together, and you understand how how difficult it it is. Randy and Fort Atkinson. Randy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I have to go with Kareem Jabbar. He was a champion at UCLA three years in a row. Went to the Bucks, took him from the cellar to a contender, and then a champion. I don't know who could be better than that. Right. Well, I mean, he was just at least for the period of time. Thanks for the call, especially those first few years. Um, you know, he in many respects kind of changed the way I think the game was played, and certainly was an incredibly dominant player who went on to have a great career. You know, when he left here with the LA Lakers. Um, yeah, I think, you know, in some respects, I think Jabbar has never quite gotten never quite gotten all the accolades he deserves because he was just such a difficult personality for a variety of reasons, you know, when when he was at that superstar level. He he never he never courted attention. Matter of fact, he did everything he possibly could to avoid it. He was a difficult interview. But uh Jabbar would be the case. I would say that if we were talking basketball, um I, and this this might be my overall pick as well. I mean, Michael Jordan in his prime. I mean, I, I, people used to come to the Bradley Center. I mean, to watch Michael Jordan play, and, and I mean, he was he was what Tiger Woods was, uh, except there was just a, a lot more high level basketball players. Michael Jordan, um, just to me, just absolutely. Uh, amazing. Um, John from Jackson on our text line says, how about a local guy who made good? Robin Yount. Um, you know, Robin Yount was an incredible was an incredible athlete as well. Uh, let's see. Joe Montana. Eh, I'm not sure I'd go with Joe Montana as the top athletes, but he had a successful career. Let's talk to Paul in Waukesha. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I think Gail Sayers had the most amazing ability of anybody I ever saw at he got hurt uh, young, yeah. But he was he dominated the sport for about five years, and then he yeah. got the yeah, I, massive knee injuries. Yeah, a little bit before. Thanks for call. A little bit before my time, I, I can remember. I can remember as a kid, you know, watching. You know, and and that was in an era where. 
um, you know, the, the rules for football weren't necessarily geared as much for the offense. And, and Gail Sayers, just just an absolutely amazing player, a little bit before my time, but cer- certainly, you know, I guess if I were trying to think about football running backs, again, a little bit before my time, but Jim Brown would, would kind of come to mind as well. But Gail Sayers would definitely be up there. Tom in Green Bay. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Who do you think? Uh, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, who just, um, just in- incredible. I mean, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky again. He he was Tiger Woods uh, for hockey for several years. They really had to change the NHL rules because of his talent. Because he was just so so very good. Yeah. No, they're uh, just just an amazing player again. And that's that's it's kind of fun to talk about this. Okay. Uh, here's an interesting one. Um, it's easy to say right now, but I have never seen an athlete quite as dynamic as our very own Giannis. He does things that nobody in NBA history has ever been able to do. It's funny that that you texted me that because as I was watching the Bucks playoff game last night. I, I was thinking exactly the same thing, and that was kind of – I'm not going to argue that Giannis is the, the greatest athlete ever. I'm not going to argue that right now he's the greatest athlete that I have ever seen play. I, I will say I watch some of the things that he does, and I'm thinking if he continues to mature and if he continues to develop and if he continues to play at the level he's playing over a period of time – um, he could be the next Michael Jordan. Um, you know, he could be the next LeBron James. Uh, and again, you know, who knows whether he's going to develop. But the skill set this guy has is, I agree, just absolutely tremendous. Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. This is Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, in his prime. I mean, he, yeah, I, you know, I'm not a big boxing fan, but I can remember, I can remember watching a couple of the, the Sugar Ray Leonard fights like against Roberto Durand and um, Roberto Durand and uh, Marvin Hagler. And just, uh, I mean, it was amazing that the type of fights that that guy had and, and what, what, a, what an athlete he was. I totally agree with you. Yeah, no, that's I. I mean, I, I can this. This was. I mean, I can remember going to the old Milwaukee Auditorium and and watching you know a couple of the big pay per view events that they had. Um, it was it was just always a lot of fun. Okay, Dan writes. I'm an old guy. Henry Aaron or Warren Spahn. Um, Henry Aaron a little before my time. Warren Spahn way before my time. I will say this: if you talk to a lot of the baseball guys that have been around for a long time, they will tell you Henry Aaron. That that's a name that that's a name that comes out uh, quite a bit from the, the people who you know played and, or were watching the sport in the fifties or sixties. You hear a lot about um, Henry Aaron. Let's talk to Chris in Kenosha. Chris, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Real well, thank you. Best athlete you ever saw? Bo Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, two way. He, he played. It was Kansas City, right? He played for Kansas City in baseball, right? And the White Sox. Okay, and then Oakland for uh, football, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The only it, other one I would put in his category might be Deion Sanders, right? Who also was a two way player. Um, you know, great cornerback. I don't think he was the baseball player that that Jackson was. Maybe I'm just misremembering that though. 
No, he wasn't as good, but he was definitely good enough to start in the majors. Yeah, well, right, which is right, which is something. There's not too many people that can say that and start, you know, when he was playing uh, football. No, Deion Sanders was incredible too. Uh, let's see on our text line: Jim Brown, All American at Syracuse in football and lacrosse. That's from Mitch and Sturgeon Bay. Yeah, Jim Brown a little bit before my time. But just, uh, and he was another guy that could have played for for years and just you know walked away from the Browns, um, and went on to a movie career and stuff, and continues to be a huge um, you know human rights activist. Dave and Fond du Lac. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I would say if you press bar. Uh huh. Um, no question. Well, he's he was an incredible player. Uh, there's no there's there's no doubt about that. And um, well, he, he played hurt. He, he, yep. He was very intelligent, uh, more than I think most people give him credit for. Uh, yes, no, I know he and and right he play, played hurt. I mean, tremendous. We were thanks to the call. We started off this with the caller who wanted to talk about you know um, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. being the 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 Iron Man of baseball. Brett Favre was the Iron Man of football. He he played hurt and certainly gave a lot of excitement for Packers fans. Okay. Um, let's see, Bill Russell, Jim Thorpe, a lot of people saying Deion Sanders. It, it, this is always one of the great things to discuss at the bars. And um, I, I tell you, Giannis, just keep that in the back of your mind. He's not there now, but he could be. I really do think he could be the next real superstar to emerge in the NBA if he continues to develop. And, and you know, he's, he's a Milwaukee Bucks player. How cool is that? All right, one more quick reminder. Insight 2017, it is tonight. Hope to see you at the Country Springs Hotel. When we come back, um, we'll find out what Steve Scafidi has on his mind. It's an abbreviated show. It's 11.55. This is Jeff Wagner. It's almost 11.58. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Steve Scafidi in the house. Hey, Jeff. Uh, looking forward to Insight 2017 tonight. Big, huge lineup of guests. Uh, Governor's always got something interesting to say, so looking forward to hearing what what he's going to talk about. And you're going to be there, be too, right? I'll be there. All right, another reason. Come on yeah. out. See uh, Steve Scafidi. Yeah, big show today. Obviously, we're going to a short show. Well, at least that's the plan. There's some weather going through Chicago right now. We'll see if that affects the start of the Cubs-Brewers game. Right now, it looks like it might go through, and, then, and they'll be able to get it in. Um, we're going to jump into this Hillary Clinton book, Shattered. I heard you talking about it. You, you uh, ordered it. I ordered it last night, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know. I, I said in my promo for that uh, for this segment that I, I think she needs to look in the mirror, and, and I think she was a candidate that looked at this race as one that was uh, impossible to lose, and because she had that strategy, I think she ignored a lot of the people that were working on the campaign, a lot of the experts. She surrounded herself with friends rather than people that were working for the victory, so that's the way I saw it. We're going to talk about that, a bunch of other stuff coming up, short show possibly today we'll we'll find out uh, probably in the next uh, half hour or so uh, lots going on Scavini and bill sets coming up next 620 wtmj